We've been pretty interested in transcription recently, and Whisper is one of the tools of choice these days. This is pretty neat. Which one of you found this? Whisper, I think you both actually found this. Whisper for Fosdom. Essentially, they've taken every talk that's been published so far, and they've run it through the Whisper transcription service. And now we have text versions of all of the Fosdom talks. And they have this one link here that's not very well formatted, but I like the idea of maybe throwing it into an e-reader. It's just all of the talks in one big HTML file, which is not very usable. But in the future, a little more intelligence goes into how this gets sorted and, you know, cleaned up. And you could just basically have a readable version of an event. You know, some folks were saying it's actually been great to find talks that you might be interested in. So you just like put in your favorite keywords of the day, you know, and then boom, you get a list of talks that you might be uh, worth going to going to watch. It's nice to see this thing, you know, getting really easy to use just because I know we have, I have relied on some, some of the big proprietary platforms like YouTube for their sort of auto transcription because it's really nice to have. But if you want to do a, you know, a free conference, you don't want to have it fall back on proprietary services. Well, just getting easier and easier to have transcriptions available for the folks that want or need it. Mm-hmm. It's getting pretty good. We've been playing around with it for our own shows, but also for Linux Action News, we'll throw a talk or a presentation through Whisper. And then it'll kick out a text file, and then we can review that and decide, is it worth us going to grab clips and trying to cover that? And we can look to see if there's anything kind of newsworthy in that, in that event by the transcript. And it makes it a lot more, I don't know, accessible doesn't feel like the right word, but it's like it's another tool to help us get through this data even faster and find the thing we're looking for. Because along with the transcription comes timestamps. Invaluable. Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Well, hello, gentlemen. Coming up on the show this week, I'll talk about how I spent nearly three months tracking down a crazy Wi-Fi problem with a really strange Linux angle. And then we'll round out the shows with some great boosts and picks and a lot more. So before we get into my woes, before we go any further... Let's say good morning to our friends over at Tailscale. Good morning, Tailscale. Tailscale.com. Go get a mesh VPN protected, guarded, powered by WireGuard. It gets up and going in minutes, and then you have a flat mesh VPN. It's so awesome. Tailscale.com. Tell them Linux Unplugged sent you. You can get it up for 20 devices for free. And of course, time-appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello. Hello, Chris. Hey, Bryson. Hello, Brent. Hello. Hello. Hello, you handsome group. Nice to see you in there. Thank you for joining us. I have, God, I just have one of these stories this week that makes you hate technology and makes you wonder, should I have just never gotten into any of this? One of those weeks where we send Chris back to the woods. (laughs) I just about was ready. I was about to give up on Wi-Fi, Wes. It was, oh man, it's one of those things. Uh, Before we get into it, though, uh, I want to mention for a limited time, the Coda robe is back. This is a special item that we will do until it is sold out. And then I will never do this again, again, ever. I think you said that last time, actually. Yeah, I know. But for 500 (laughs) episode 500, I got talked into it. But this time the emotional up and down journey of doing a really custom piece of swag, like this robe. Let me tell you what guys, I'm never doing it again over there too, because the international shipping can be rough on the robe. uh, We have a coder tumbler and a coder radio sticker to celebrate coder radio 500 all over at jupitergarage.com. I'm mentioning it once on the show because I want to give 
the folks a chance to go get that robe. It is a Coder Radio robe, but it's such a damn nice robe. So yeah, can you describe robe. what it feels like to wear the robe just a little bit? Like you're wearing a Cadillac, you know, mm. like you, you've wrapped yourself in luxury and it is one of those robes that you could put on when you get out of the shower if you need to. Or if you're working from home and you don't need to get dressed that day, you could wear it all day long. Have you tried podcasting in the robe? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's, <laughs> it's like a performance robe here. Oh, dude. First of all, you know the answer to that because you were here when I was doing a show with the robe on and I lit it on fire and I kept doing the show and the robe continued on. So you know that's the sh- the robe has survived fire while live doing a podcast. <laughs> Cadillac. So, Get yours today. Yeah, it is a Cadillac of robes and uh, it's for a limited time over at jupitergarage.com along with the tumbler and the sticker and other stuff. There's the journal and some love stickers, you know. I don't know. I'm not you. Jupitergarage.com. And then one other thing to mention, Sunday, March 4th, at the Mount Vernon Tap Room at 192 Brewing, we're going to do a little micro meetup. Yep, that's right. Saturday, March 4th. Did I say Sunday? Because it's Saturday. Saturday, March 4th. It'll be the day before LUP 500. We're going to just do a little mini get-together. It is kind of out of the way for most folks, but I wanted to do something up in my little town that I like to uh, patron from time to time, and I wanted to keep these folks going. They got a great location. It is the 192 Brewing Company. You can find their menu and stuff's online at 192brewing.com. And if you're in the Pacific Northwest area and you can join us, come say hi. It'll be a little small private venue. I'll be there. Wes will be there. Brent will be there. Jeff's going to be there. Um, whoever else we can talk into, come hang out with us. Now, Chris, considering the birthday, uh, are you accepting gifts? What? No, no, no. So you don't want like 500 raspberry pies or anything? Well, I mean, that'd be like, we could trade that. We could, <laughs> we could sell those. I mean, that now, come on, let's, we'll talk. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so I'm just looking forward to, we're just going to do a low key thing. Uh, we have some plans for 500, but again, nothing that's going to be like, um, like uh, anything too crazy. I think you guys are really hopefully going to love what we have in store. And we wanted to have a little opportunity to get together before episode 500 and do a little hang. We've done all kinds of stuff, but we've never really done one super close to home. And that's within walking distance for me. So to seem like a great chance speaking of walking distance from where i'm parked these days okay we got to go back a few months in time boys you got a sound effect for this <laughs> i probably i probably do you know me let's go back let's say november and uh i park jupes and it's like time to hunker down for the winter and i think to myself oh this is gonna be great because i'll just stay super focused on work for the winter not going to worry about going anywhere. Gas prices are high. This is going to be fantastic. And within a couple of days, I start noticing that we're having some Wi-Fi problems. And I think, uh, I knew this could happen. I think to myself, of course, we park somewhere new. Somebody's got a weird device. It's messing up my Wi-Fi. And I'm having packet loss. And sometimes like pages will fail to load. And like, you know, say you'll do a ping to Google DNS. Three of them might fail, wow. it, you know, out of five or something. Okay. Yeah, it was bad. And it this was, is just like on your home network? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man. Even with your fancy, you know, Peplink and my, all your... My first thought was, yeah, maybe something's wrong with Starlink. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we're dropping to the Starlink level. And was this only one of your devices? Like, was it the local Wi-Fi going... Well, you're going to get into mm-hmm. this, Yeah, it's the local you? Wi-Fi right, devices. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so okay, so let's cover that. So yeah, local Wi-Fi devices, I started noticing even stuff on the LAN was having a problem. So then I thought, oh, okay, it's not the Peplink or the Starlink. It's We're going to do this like we're sort of the ISP technicians here, right? <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried to reboot it? Okay, Mr. You, Fisher. <laughs> you tried? Yeah, you rebooted it, right? <laughs> oh, man, did I? I went through all that, all that kind of stuff. I even busted out the old Wi-Fi analyzer, Whoa. you know, on the Android. Uh, classic, yeah. Yep. And uh, I did make some improvements. There was a couple things. Did some channel happen? Mm-hmm. And I and I decided to finally just commit to turning off the Wi-Fi in the Starlink AP. <sighs> just have one less sort of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which is mixed, but I decided to do it. So I was going through and kind of refining. I thought, okay, I'm eventually going to land on stable Wi-Fi, right? And I, I mean, d- now we're like into mid-December and I'm like, I'm still having horrendous Wi-Fi problems. But I think I've noticed it's when like one of my neighbors comes home. And so I'm thinking... Maybe they have a device on them or something that is causing all kinds of problems. And so I start trying to track that down best you can. You know, you can't go knocking on people's door and be like, hey, can I look at your devices? I'm with the FCC and we've had a... Yeah, right. We've had a complaint here. Eventually, though, I do get in and I see there is a printer, like one of these HP printers. And this thing, this thing is like blasting Wi-Fi. They put one of the strongest (laughs) APs in this dumb thing. I couldn't believe it. So you started printing to it. Yeah, actually, I asked. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I did the math, figured out that wasn't it. We kept, we kept looking, and um, I eventually started to dec- decided to realize maybe it's time to just upgrade the old Wi-Fi system. You know, I've had this Wi-Fi system for a long time. Wi-Fi 6 is out. I have a lot of data I put on this network because I have Wi-Fi cameras. It's probably time. Right. Reasonable to invest. You want good Wi-Fi. It should last, right? Yeah. So yeah. do some upgrades. And okay. in the back of my mind is like, well, what if we went on a road trip and I needed to do a show from the RV? Yeah. People coming in, new devices. You yeah. want robust internet. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, it wasn't so bad because I remember on our trips, uh, I would get Wi-Fi in the chase car when we yeah. were going to Colorado and such. So <laughs> it, it seemed like you were doing pretty good. It was working so great. It was working so great. I really... Up until Brent spent some time on it. Yeah, that's what oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leave it to Brent. New that's variable for sure. here. <laughs> yeah. But I you know, I would have before said this is like the most reliable, closest to Ethernet Wi-Fi experience I'd ever had. It had been really solid. So I, I was... I, and I really had also realized at some point I may be dealing with multiple issues because I started, I started realizing that perhaps the issues I was having on my phone with Wi-Fi were not the same issues... I was having on my laptop. And that was a big moment of realization. I started realizing I was getting different behavior on different machines. Weird. Does this sound like you get getting more complicated? Yeah. Well, in part, Graphene OS did a sorry, Graphene OS did an OS update that introduced a new set of issues at some point during this. Boys, it was rough. It was rough. So I do the new Wi-Fi AP deployment. I get this all set up. I'm pretty proud. I'm I'm spending, you know, like an entire legit Saturday. Ripping out the Wi-Fi. Tear down your whole old yep. network, build it back up. Yeah, DHCP reservations you got to tidy up. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot, right? And I have a lot of smart Wi-Fi devices. Smart in yeah. some level of air quotes. Yeah. A lot of them require to be rebooted and stuff oh, like that. Just, even though I named the AP the same thing, right? It's just... And sure enough, the TP-Link smart devices just start dropping off the new Wi-Fi. Whole new set of issues. I now have, like, the, so the phone doesn't, isn't doing Wi-Fi properly. The laptops aren't doing Wi-Fi properly. And now the smart devices aren't doing Wi-Fi. I've actually had a net downgrade 
in overall reliability of my Wi-Fi. Sounds like you don't even have Wi-Fi at this point. I basically don't. <laughs> and so at the end of a long day of trying to get switched over, I decide to abort and roll back to the old AP. No. Unplug really? everything I've done. Undo all the work. No way. <laughs> you maniac. Because I got to have these devices. These were like, these smart devices help run heaters and stuff. So like, this is non-negotiable functionality. At this have point. you thought about just getting like a three to four year old Android phone that you just put on hotspot mode and, <laughs> and be done with it? You know, it works it for a lot of a, people. It might be a better experience. I know. I know. I, I, when, I, when I see other RVers and I see how they solve it, sometimes I think, yeah, it's simpler. Just a little MiFi puck. Sure, they have to reboot it all the time and the battery dies and they're made of junk processors, but there is a simplicity to it. There is. It turns out, though, turns out that we start, we start doing a little bit of distro hopping. And I throw a couple of different distros on my ThinkPad X1. And the problem goes away. No. And I think to myself, well, switching Linux distros doesn't solve my Wi-Fi. So I continue to distro hop for the show and stuff like that. And the problem comes back. So I switch over to, so I start, I start kind of paying attention. So I switch over to OpenSUSE and I have the problem. I think, okay. So I switch to Fedora and I have the problem. I switch to Hello System and I don't have the problem. But Hello System is based on FreeBSD. All of these other ones are Linux. I've heard good things about that networking stack. You actually tried Hello? Yeah, yeah, for like you, you were giving me a hard time for trying yeah, You're the one that tried it. Oh, yeah, we did. We, you, we talked about it. I thought I'll give it a go for Lion. You Lamp. wouldn't try it, so we had to. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That is right. We had to do the work. Somebody had to do the and work. And the Wi-Fi worked fine. And so the Wi-Fi worked fine on the same hardware. So I decided, let's put Nix back on this ThinkPad, because that's the OS I like, right? So I put that's what you want. I put Nix on there with the latest kernel. I get it all installed with the Genome 43 or whatever it is that they have. Get my extensions on there. And things are working pretty good. And I start, I think I even mentioned to you, like, at some point, just in passing, I was like, I've been really having Wi-Fi issues since Linux 6 something. or, And uh, I thought that's what it was. Sure, yeah. Because that was the common denominator across Fedora, OpenSUSE, and Nix. New shiny kernels. Maybe there's some little regression that just needs to get worked out in the next. Yeah. And and that version hit all those cur- all those distros right around the problem time I started having the problem in November, and it just started kind of doing this math. It might have been like Linux five nineteen back then or whatever. But whatever. we've been through this kind of thing with like audio devices or random little network things. You know, it's rare, but it happens. It totally happens. It's part of you know the rolling game, really. When you when you have a cutting edge kernel and they, Intel maybe changes some drivers. Things can break. And so I thought that must be what happened. So let's see if it's been fixed. So I just go to the absolute latest stack that I can. And I'm thinking to myself, I've solved the problem. This is great. No problem at all anymore. Until a little bit of a like home emergency comes up. And I need to get on a website as fast as possible and get information off this website. And the page won't load. The page, the page I'm like, no, not again. I thought I had solved this. I bring up the terminal ping. No reply. No reply. 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 No reply. No reply. And like, I started sweating profusely. I started sweating because it's like, I need to get this information immediately. We weren't sure if there was an account compromise. It was like panic mode, panic mode. And my Wi-Fi isn't working again. And I thought it was solved. I kind of forgotten about it. But I pretty quickly at that moment. It had, I had, in a moment of clarity, realized what it was and how to solve it. Linode.com slash unplugged. That's where you go to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And that's how you can support the show while you're checking out fast, reliable cloud hosting. 
that's Linode. With the best support in the business, they really are just humans that are there to answer your questions every day, all day. What a concept. Little things like that make all the difference, don't they? And Linode's how we run everything we've built since we went independent to what? Three years ago or more now? I don't know. Feels like 12. <laughs> and there's so much we've built over there that I kind of just lost track of it. But when I sit here and kind of rattle through the inventory in my head, what I realize is that it has just been a rock. Performance has been great. The systems where we needed to turn up performance as they grew, it was really straightforward to just add more system as we needed it. The rigs are always a really great deal. If you need something for like a blog or you want something for the backend infrastructure of your business, they're 30 to 50% cheaper than the hyperscalers that have these crazy, unique, proprietary platforms. And on top of all that, Linode systems are faster. They've got 11 data centers online today. They're bringing on another dozen this year. They've got 40 gigabit connections coming to the hypervisors. They've got the high-end hardware, if that's what you want. They've got the budget hardware. If you're just doing something for yourself that's kind of small, if you're just maybe like deploying a dozen systems to do some infrastructure management training, you could do that. I mean, you get the 100 bucks, go do that. Go, go spin up like five, six, seven, eight boxes. Put them all together. See what you can build. I was actually thinking too, another thing you could try, especially if you've got users that are a little more familiar with traditional Office, only Office is now a one-click deployment on Linode. And that has a very nice UI and it's totally compatible with the Microsoft file formats, does collaborative real-time editing up in the web and you can get up and go in just seconds. Great way to take advantage of that hundred bucks. So go get that $100 and get started. Go to linode.com slash unplugged. I think you're going to love Linode. You'll see why we rave about it all the time and why so many of our listeners have become Linode customers. It's linode.com slash unplugged. A couple of versions of GNOME ago, they introduced performance modes. Oh, I remember that showing up in the little menu. Yeah. yeah. You got power saver, balanced, and performance mode. Well, on my ThinkPad, when it goes into balanced or power mode, power saver mode, it like clocks down the Wi-Fi and it makes my Wi-Fi drop packets. And then here's the extra fun part. It has arbitrary rules about when you can go into performance mode, like if it detects it's in your lap or if the thermal conditions aren't right or if the battery conditions aren't right and it doesn't really tell you what those are, you cannot enable performance mode. So you cannot actually take it out of the mode through the GUI to solve the issue and get a fully functional Wi-Fi. Like, you can't just say, send all the power to the Wi-Fi. Now, there are command lines. Right, but you know. through the exposed human interface, you cannot. And it makes the change automatically in the background. So just as you're, like, like plugging <laughs> and unplugging, and, and, and sometimes you can't even override it. So uh, I realized as I was trying to get this website to load, I, I, clicked, the, I clicked the little power button, and I looked at it, so, yeah, right, power mode's Time, I, this, this always screws up Wi-Fi and Linux. This always has been a problem. And I, I really couldn't have told you, like, at that moment, maybe there was a way to override GNOME Shell and tell it to go to performance mode. I couldn't get it to do it. Could not. And so ultimately, I decided to take GNOME off, and I just put Plasma on that machine. I just ripped off GNOME Shell Thank over you, the weekend. Nick. Whoa. Yeah, it was a, it's, a clean, it's a clean cut. That's amazing. You'd never know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's drastic, though, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, when I, when I check now in, in Plasma, when I use the command line to, like, check the performance modes, um, it says it's in performance high mode. It just seems to be always be in a performance high mode. And that's fine. I'd rather have worse battery life but have working Wi-Fi. And I think there is a way to get both, looking at some of the discussions. Okay. But I didn't really see many people describing my specific problem where when you're in power saver mode, you drop packets. 
I saw people that are looking to like prevent their Wi-Fi from going to sleep mode. And I see people looking at different Wi-Fi power modes they can put it in. But I don't really see people connecting GNOME performance mode to networking issues. But it is a straight line for me. It was bad. It took me longer than it should have because it gets it just changes on its own in the background. I can put it in performance mode and it'll stick that way for a while. And then suddenly you notice my yeah. Wi-Fi sucks now. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And, and Chris, is this the only hardware that this happens to? Like, have you tried other laptops? I'm wondering if it's worth, you know, maybe it's a dev one hardware combined with the performance indicators and, and change it. Like basically I'm I don't saying, know if it'd be better to try that. it on my end and see if it's also be, an issue. I mean, I should try it. I, I, I have, I think I've probably used it a little less with GNOME on the dev one. Mostly I've used plasma on the dev one because it, it isn't an issue on the same hardware and plasma. That's the really, that's the funny thing about it. Right. It was the frust- most frustrating thing. To kind of, you know, when you really need your machine to not have that work. And I get, I like the performance mode idea. I like the idea of being able to slap it into low power mode and extend that battery a little bit longer, maybe during a work day when you, when you got something going on. So I, I don't want to like just throw the feature out completely, but I just don't have time to nuance it either. Yeah, it does seem nice, especially in the, you know, just to compete with other operating systems, to have that little toggle up there, a quick way to say like, oh, I'm like, I know I'm going to be on the, on the road for all day. Like, I just want you to last a little bit longer. It also kind of makes me like a little sus about these types of features when they land. When you hear about something, it's like, that sounds like a good thing, but how could it mess up my system? And in this case, it's like, I don't know, the performance mode or probably a net loss for me. I think I'm probably just going to disable that for a while. And I feel like this has always been a really classically hard thing in Linux. If you look like when I was just doing a little bit of search through of, of troubleshooting, there's a long... <laughs> long history of people having sleep and performance mode mm-hmm. induced problems with networking on Linux. It just goes back years. It's like, we just haven't quite got that right. It's just a little too, like, I guess there's too many edge cases. Like perhaps it would work really well in the dev one, but on that ThinkPad X one, you know, you get Wi-Fi that drops off. Right. You've got different, you've got different kernels. You've got different hardware settings. You've got different chipsets. You've got different Wi-Fi chips. In some ways, it it makes the uh, it makes the problem feel too big to fix. Like there isn't a, a solution that's going to scale across all machines, and that will always be just sort of fixing it up, finding the edge cases. Well, that's the wrong mood to take, Chris. Come on, look at what the Linux kernel has accomplished. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? Well, I don't know. It seems like the the type of support for hardware of various flavors that we've had you know, baked into the Linux kernel in the last, you know, 10, 20 years has been sort of monumental. If you thought that was going to be the case when it first came out, you'd think that we'd be crazy. You remember when we were just complaining that Wi-Fi would work at all? You could yeah. see your wireless chipset. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a big, big thing right there. You know, it just feels, it feels still like it's two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back sometimes. But I do see what you guys are saying is in the, if you take the long, long term, it's these kinds of things get worked out. They're not so bad. And it's not like the physical hardware isn't supported. I do worry a little bit about the experience of trying to switch someone like from Windows or something. And then like you pop a otherwise beautiful Fedora or something on there and you're like, this is really great. And maybe you're not, you know, they don't have the time or the expertise or the experience to sort sure. of dig into the level. And, yeah, yeah. Especially if you're maybe supporting a family member or something. So you don't have enough, you know, you don't see each of the failure states to walk backward the way that you did 
what are you going to think? Like, you're just like, well, Linux just doesn't work on this machine when it's a little setting that you could drop a comp file somewhere and like not worry about it at all. Well, it's just funny how the problem starts as well. There's something wrong with the Wi-Fi. And then it turns out, no, it's actually not the Wi-Fi. It's the laptop and the phone. They just have two separate issues <laughs> that make it look like the Wi-Fi is having problems. Like that whole, that whole working that out process took way longer than it normally would. But, you know, it's Christmas and Thanksgiving is in all of this. There's just a lot of family stuff going on. And it's like, you don't have time to sort this stuff. I, I, I think I, I guess I just try to look back and think, what could I have done differently? And one thing I could have done differently is just not fooled around with performance modes in a desktop environment that has performance modes. Yeah. But how can you predict that? Like new feature, you're excited to try it and like, okay, surely someone's tested this. Right. And, and it probably works in 80% of the cases, but so don't feel too bad. I can't help but think of XFCE. You know what if I just went with XFCE? Whoa. Just simple old XFCE and it just would have updated for 418 and they just none of this would have ever I never would have spent any of this time buying new Wi-Fi, swapping Wi-Fi hardware out. You know, like you see where my point is? It's like if I just had gone a simpler path, I would have avoided a lot of this hassle. Yeah, but you'd be running 2004 XFCE and you wouldn't have anything to talk about on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, you did like Hello. You, you could run that and see yeah. fine for you. <laughs> I mean, it was nice. It was nice, but I don't think I'd live there. Well, you just you use that as your base system when you run Linux in a VM. That'd there you fun. go. Yeah, I'll just put Nix in, in VirtualBox. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was like, I was like, wow, this is working a lot better. <laughs> sure, is, sure is nice to have Wi-Fi that works. Does that mean that you have a, a, a pretty much brand new out of the box wireless access point that you're looking to get rid of because you're still using your old <laughs> wi-fi system look at you you savage uh, i'm keeping track here yeah i'm not sure what i'm gonna do with it i, I just calling dibs right on air look at that bull <laughs> <laughs> i went to ship it back and i got a real hard time from some some self-hosted listeners and i thought no I'll, I'll hang on to it and try to make it work here at the studio but like when am i gonna do that but that was my idea was to just set it up here at the studio and use it we have a couple of those tp link smart devices but only a couple wouldn't really be a big deal and i'd still like to figure out why they didn't work as a whole other thing you know yeah what's go on bro well that's you're you're hitting me right in the feels here chris now because it feels like you know we we tinker because we want to bring new things to the show and like we can't help ourselves but man do we ever run into all these like little tiny issues more commonly than we should you know it's like well i have like the title of being the QA guy here because I always seem to run into these weird, obscure issues. And is that just going to be the way it is for us on the Linux desktop? Or is has it been getting better over the last decade? Like, is this... See now? See where you see where I'm at? You see where I'm at now? Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sort of, it can be a little frustrating because this, uh, what I thought was a networking issue turned out to be a software feature on my desktop that was messing with me. Sort of like a little troll, like a built-in malware almost. It's just the craziest thing. So I, I don't know, Brent. I want to say no. I want to say the answer is no. I want what I want to say is for like every gem that we discover, we gotta file, we gotta file, we gotta go through a few piles of just junk, right? And then you find a gem, and I feel like that's open source in a, in general. Is like there's it's incremental progress, yeah. A lot of work to get to the good stuff, but the good stuff's so great. And here, you know, in some sense, we're trying to you know bite these bullets first. So that like, right, like it's not like Plasma's perfect. You can just go to Plasma. Plasma has its own issues. There's reasons you like being on GNOME. And uh, we're kind of here just calling these out so that, you know, the listener can decide uh, which That's true. barrel of apples uh, sounds good to them. I am very excited about Plasma 527. That was the other reason I 
was like, I'll just go over to Plasma. They got some good releases coming. Plasma 527 LTS is going to be. So I thought, all right, I'll hang over there for a while. Get that goodie. Enjoy that. Not worry about this. Come back and test it some other time, I suppose. So what was going on with Giraffe? And that's a whole other little thread in this adventure. Yeah, I actually haven't solved that. Will not connect to my home Wi-Fi anymore. Like at all? No. Still not. Have you tried to connect to the printer? (laughs) I can connect to the neighbor's Wi-Fi. And I can connect to the Wi-Fi here at the studio. Just fine. But I wonder if mine would. Yeah, interesting to compare. Now I haven't had time to like reboot my AP and do all that, just basics. Right. But it is a strange problem and it's been going on for weeks. It's it was like one of the updates right after my last Raffin OS update, like almost immediately after that last Raffin OS update we did on the show. I got a I got an over the air update. I've had several since too. Mm-hmm. They're very good about that. And the over the air update lands, installs, reboots, no Wi Fi. Cannot connect to my Wi Fi access point anymore. I've turned off like the randomized option now. Yeah, in Giraffe OS, you have the option to randomly generate a Mac every time you connect, or you can uh, not do that, or you could do it like there's like a third option. And I just turn all that stuff off, so it's just using its regular Mac address. It's not randomizing it when it connects. It still won't. No, no dice. I think I now understand, Chris, the root of your motivation to have offline Saturdays. You just can't get online, it seems. Yeah, yeah there was some of that. It's like, this crap, sick of it. Yeah, ready to stop, stop, stop. Just didn't want to fight technology anymore. I think that's that was sort of my, I was just surprised that I spent so much time thinking it was a Wi-Fi issue. Maybe because I'm an old man, I don't know. I just don't trust Wi-Fi. But I just spent, I waste a lot of my time thinking it was something wrong with the Wi-Fi. And in part because there's not a lot of good information you get out of your, a lot of like the existing common Wi-Fi tooling. So you're kind of just left as a guess of what it's doing. So what else are you going to do except for assume that's where the problem is? Yeah, right. Either the sort of magic radio waves work or they don't. And um, anyways, I learned my lesson on that one. Got to go back to the basics and, and test, uh, you know, layer one. However, you can do it, I suppose. Even if in my case, it means swapping out devices sometimes. But yeah, there, there you go. If you have weird Wi-Fi dropouts, perhaps it is performance modes. I'll have a link in the show notes of how I went in and uh, figured out what uh, power profile it is in from the command line. You can basically just cat a file like you can just about everything else in linux and it'll come up it'll come back with uh, your performance mode either balance power or balance performance and if you're in balance power you may experience what i was experiencing and uh, drop packets especially if you're on a thinkpad x1 because that's what i was using it's no good boys it's no good bitwarden.com slash linux go try it out right now go get a free trial and see what we've been talking about bitwarden is the easiest way for yourself or your friends and family or a business to store share and sync sensitive data and bitwarden vaults are end-to-end encrypted with zero knowledge encryption that matters a lot these days and bitwarden's open source is trusted by millions of individuals out there teams organizations open source projects wes and i it's what we use for a while now and if you're using a different password manager and you're looking for a fresh start, something you can trust, go to bitwarden.com migrate. They make the process of getting set up really straightforward. Bitwarden also has account switching support. So if you want to have a work account and a personal account or open source project and personal account separated, it's easy to do that. It's integrated right into the workflow, even when you're on mobile. I mean, it's just top-notch stuff. And one of the things that I think really impresses me about Bitwarden is now that I've been a user for a while, I've noticed this cadence of updates. And I saw on their blog, 
the February update, they're putting a lot of love into some of the admin console stuff. So business users and enterprising groups, there's going to be a lot of nice dashboard features coming to you. We all get good stuff, but I noticed this next one. It looks like there's a lot of good business stuff in there. So if that's an area or a realm you're considering, Bitwarden just keeps getting better. So go get started and try it at bitwarden.com slash Linux using a unique username, password, and email address, which Bitwarden makes very doable. It's one of the easiest and most simple and straightforward things you can do to improve your security online. You might already know that, but maybe you know somebody who needs to hear that. So send them to bitwarden.com slash Linux and have them start improving their security or do it yourself today and migrate. Don't forget about that bitwarden.com slash migrate. So try it out. Give it a go. See why we love it. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. Well, we always love receiving your feedback, and you can send us some. Linuxunplugged.com slash contact, and uh, we'll make sure to read it. Josh sent something in for us. He says, I want to add my two cents to the conversation about BlendOS. In my opinion, Arch is the distro you go for for software availability. Why do you need DNF and apt if you have the AUR? Even though it's immutable, having an Arch base is still bleeding edge. Vanilla OS accomplishes pretty much something similar, but it uses Ubuntu 22.04 as the base. It's also immutable, and you get the software from the AUR and DNF while keeping a solid Ubuntu base. Might be a nice alternative to consider in this case. Any thoughts? Vanilla OS gets another mention. I think I see the logic. I, I agree. In this particular scenario, there is perhaps some value to an Ubuntu base. You know, you get a certain layer of software compatibility there. I am not as excited about this latest generation of immutables that we, it does seem like a necessary step in like the creating the immutable Linux distros out there. And Vanilla OS feels like one of the more interesting ones that's happening. But we've kind of reached my point of saturation on interest in that I guess it's, it's there for me now. You know, like my moment of the immutable desktop arrived. And so now I'm not as interested in the solutions that, are maybe several layers more complex, but obviously have good reasons. Does that make sense? You follow me? Yeah, I mean, well, you're you're drinking the Nick sauce. So, mm. what other distros are going to even? It is interesting to watch, but you're right. I'm not. For some reason, I'm not as drawn to like try every iteration. I'm curious to see them, and obviously, we did try Blend OS, and it was fun to try. But it does feel like it needs to add a little something new. And there's so many, I think it's a little tricky too. And, and Brent touched on this with DistroBox when we were talking about BlendOS. There's so many different ways now with containerization methods and other software availability between just install Nix on your distro, between, you know, things like Docker and Podman, Snaps, Packs, App Images. Yeah. So there's a little less, you got to really like, in the immutable case, I think you really got to like how the base system is put together. And that's maybe the layer that's going to stand out, right? Like Nix, something like Nix versus Silverblue. You've got different ways of how that works. How does the sort of updates get applied? And are we getting there. too complicated too for people to track this? Is this getting too many layers of complexity? Well, maybe that's an area where they will do a little more innovation is sort of making it, taking immutability to the masses. Obviously we're happy. Yeah. Like we like Nix OS. We like being able to go in and like have this one declarative file that we work with, but not everyone, uh, that's not how everyone wants to approach using and configuring a computer, especially if you're just a normal sort of desktop user. But, and obviously the, I think the folks behind Silverblue think this, right? Eventually, it'd be nice for those folks to also get some of the re reliability and other benefits of having an immutable operating system. Boostagram. We got some great boosts. We have an interesting batch because we were off for a little extended period of time, but we also uh, had a node 
inbound liquidity issue or a tour issue so we missed a few boosts too so it's a it's a good bag but if you if 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 we missed your boost let me know and uh send it send it to me in an i don't know a matrix message or something and i'll try to get it in here but uh v links came in with a hundred thousand sats this week you are our baller sir thank you very much that is fantastic hey! Uh, and they write, I finally figured out this boosting thing with all the new immutable distros popping up. I thought I'd throw my hat into the ring since adding the cal- calamaris installer in XOS. Thank you. Yeah. By the way. Wow. Great work there. Nice. I've been working on other GUI tools for NixOS and a beginner friendly NixOS based distro called Snowflake OS. Hmm. Given your combined years of distro hopping experience under your belts, what are the most important factors? that you consider in a distro before suggesting it to non-technical persons. Any must-haves? This sounds like a Brent answer to me. Hmm, okay. You got any ideas on a must-haves? What a great question. Wow. Well, I feel like we could do a whole episode on this topic. Most important factors that you consider a distro before suggesting it to a non-technical person. Well, I'd say number one is have a technical person by your side <laughs> so that uh, if you do run into something. Yeah, right. Maybe one way to phrase this is, uh, hey, there's this cool new NixOS-based distribution, but it's aimed at new users. You know, it's aimed at your average user. What's it going to take to put it on your mom's laptop? Well, I think the average user wants discoverability. You know, if you want to have a YouTube music player. Well, how do you go and find something like that? So I know we all have like, you know, eight different tricks of places to go look to try to discover a piece of software that might work that way. But really what I've seen for non-technical people is like they just want to be able to hit the menu button and write like software or do a search right there for an application they might want. You know, they have a Zoom call all of a sudden. Well, how how do they get that working? And how does it work in a way that's streamlined, straightforward, and easy to understand? And I think that's been probably the most challenging thing for Linux is making it, you know, making otherwise really complex things on the underpinnings seem really simple to the end user. Uh, That's really the key is reducing all that friction. You're probably going to go say like, oh, I need to, yeah, Zoom is a great example or, you know, whatever the weird proprietary app that you just got to run this moment to get your stuff done. And then how do I get this on Linux? Maybe you're kind of aware that you're running Linux and then you get instructions for a dev package or whatever. And how do you deal with that? Can you have like upfront documentation or guides that say like either just provide that software getting pathway and has enough software, which Nix does have a lot of software um, to meet that need? Or do you need to have some way of saying like, well, yeah, you're going to, Here's what you do in the in the middle ground that doesn't quite work, or how, here's how you get help with. Because a lot of users are just going to go to Zoom.us and try to download a file uh, to get it going, and that's going to be tricky. You know, I think too, if you think of the audience for a, a distribution like this, Snowflake OS, it's probably technical people that are deploying it for non-technical users. And I I really wish there was something a little more straightforward for supporting these installations after they're deployed. We'll talk a little bit here in a moment about some remote desktop options, but um, something that maybe took advantage of modern technologies, took advantage of maybe the RDP server built into GNOME and the fact that that's Wayland compatible, something that made it more straightforward to support folks. These guys are both right, though, too. The software discovery thing is a big issue because most end users, they just go Google search, Zoom install and download and try to install it. I really like snowflakeos.org. It's a great looking website. It's a great idea. 
Audience, if you have ideas out there, you let us know. What are things you must have for a beginner-friendly distro? Boost us in and let us know your, like, newbie distro must-haves. Am I right in thinking the Snowflake OS might might be kind of a nod to using Flakes in Nix? Do you see that anywhere under the hood there? I'm liking that idea. I was wondering that same thing. I like that idea. Could see it. Well, thank you for the work on the NixOS GUI installer too, VL. That's uh, awesome. Kind of, kind of transformative. It's impressive. Yeah. Tech Geek boosting with 25,000 sats. Hey, gang, Tech Geek here. I've heard you guys talk about Rust Desk so much, I decided to finally check it out. How about this? Rust Desk on Tailscale. I deployed the server via Docker on my Raspberry Pi on my Tailscale network, and I can access all my Rust Desk clients on my Tailscale network. I love it. So keep up the great work. Also, may I please have a money soundbite from the Swingers movie? Oh, <laughs> okay. I didn't see that. I didn't see that at the time. Is that what's that? What is that? I don't. I don't know if I've seen the Swingers movie now. Well, I add it to your list, it. I guess. I guess I will. I'll have to grab the yeah. bike. Sorry, geek. I uh, I'm slacking. I I take the excuse that I've been sick this week. Uh, the self-hosted rust test sounds great, though. Yeah, that is a really nice setup. Tikario Busen with twenty two thousand two hundred and twenty two cents. Some sort of super duck. I don't even know. This old duck still got it. Was listening to episode 495, Moment of Truth, and had some input on the best keyboard on Draffine OS. I had a lot of friction switching away from Gboard, but thanks to Draffine OS's security rules, you can disable networking entirely for apps. No telemetry concerns. Some drawbacks, like GIF searching obviously doesn't work, but I have all the swiping, locales, and sizing comforts I'm used to. Hmm. So he's, I think what he's saying is use the Google board, just turn off network access. See, these are just kind of option, nice options that you forget that you even have on mobile sometimes. So yeah. That's great. That is a great idea because it is a pretty good keyboard. It is. And I'm definitely used to it. Yeah. I'm still soliciting ideas, but that might be the winner right there. So practical. Mm-hmm. Elefante Orquintie boosts in with 10,000 sats. Great episode. Thanks for your work. Out of curiosity, have you ever heard... Of Crun VM, K R U N V M. So, a command line based utility for creating micro VMs from OCI images. Minimal footprint, super fast boot time, zero disk image maintenance, zero network configuration. You can map host volumes into the guest and uh, you can expose guest ports to the host OS. Okay, well, this looks pretty darn handy. It does. Like they've got support for macOS on ARM? What? <laughs> what? Now we have to try it. Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, they, it looks like they've got uh, a copper repository available for Fedora folk. And, uh, hmm, you see that there, Wes? You see that? Looks like it's using a little rust. It sure is. Well, Elefante, thank you. This is uh, something I'll definitely give a shot. Zach Attack boosted in with 7,000 sats. Don't feel bad for putting Apple Music on your Giraffeine OS. I also downloaded Gboard and turned off its network access just to get speech to text and multi-language support. All right, fair enough. I, I have been leaning on the Apple Music a little bit, but Brent, our next boost came in midweek. And uh, when I saw this one, I grabbed their app recommendation right away. Hydragerum wrote in with 4,950 sets. For music streaming and collection on Giraffeine OS, I personally use 
VI Music from FDroid works great for online streaming and offline listening using automatic caching. This is a very much appreciated tip. Uh, I've been waiting to figure out how the hell YouTube music could ever be relevant at all in my life. And this app basically makes it relevant as an abstraction detail, but it is a really great app for playing and caching music on your Android device. Nice UI. It just sort of elegantly downloads the files in the background and then plays them. It'll play them offline. You don't have to have cell signal, which I really appreciate. It's got a great UI. I was so impressed by it. I had to message Wes ahead of time, too. I was like, Wes, you got to check this out. This is a great little app. Which I appreciate. I uh, <laughs> have just been trying it myself. And yeah, wow, what, what a find. What, you didn't tip me off on this? Well, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't you were I sick. Didn't tell oh, you, I get it. I, I didn't spend it. enough time no, complaining I, about YouTube music to Chris. No, because Wes was going on a road trip. So I told oh, Wes sure. because he, right, he was going on a road trip. Yeah, I'm okay with that. But now you know, VI music. And it has nothing to do with the text editor that Wes loves so much. But it... Uh, Still a great name. Yeah, I mean, they don't, no one's naming stuff nano music. Okay? No, no. <laughs> E-Rock boosted in with 2,000 sets. Regarding SpinWrite, Steve has done quite a bit of optimized operations for both spinning and solid-state storage. It might be worth a go. Good old SpinWrite getting the plug. Getting the plug. Yeah, so this was brought up in Matrix, too. It's been a minute since I've tried old SpinWrite. You ever give, uh, you ever try SpinWrite there, Wes? I'm aware of it. I don't think I've actually run it myself. Yeah, I know he's working on the version that's uh, updated for SSD drives. So he'll have that out soon. Hey, can either of you remind me about SpinRite? I don't think I've ever run into this. What, what's it used for and uh, what, what problem is it supposing to solve? SpinRite is a tool that really came into its own for spinning disks. Hence the name Spin Right. Hence, yeah, right. Uh, and you could go through and if you had a disk that maybe was in the process of dying or had some bad sectors on there, maybe even had some bad, some, uh, some bad file system get messed up or something like that. You could throw spin right at it and it would sit there and it would scan and scan and chunk and chunk and just grind its way through. Like there's, there's stories on here about after 22 hours, spin right completed its work and produced a fully recovered file. You know, it's like, it's like where people go when they're desperate to get that screenshot that they took, that they were working on for the article and then their computer crashed, like that kind of thing. And, you know, people love it. it because when it has worked for people, you know, they've really built a loyalty to it. I don't know how great it is with uh, SSDs, but I'm sure I'm sure Steve's, you know, tried to keep it up to date as best he can. I uh, don't really I don't really know if it's what we need for the So we have the background is we have a machine here in the studio where its drive is dying. So the idea is perhaps we could throw a spin right at it, mark those sectors bad and then keep on trucking. Now, to spin right, we, we have to use Wine? Is it a window? It looked like a Windows app. It's a DOS app. Oh, it's a DOS oh, app. Okay, yeah. Great. Oh, can we just boot into it then? Yeah, you boot into like an old boot DOS environment or something like that and run it. Now, does that support ski boot? I know. I just want RAM. I want RAM doubling. So that's that's what I care about. And of course, you got to have smart disk caching, right? Smash comes in with 2006 sats. Smash here. 2006 from Fountain. I'm moving my email away from Gmail and using Google Takeout. I need software that can access the search that will be an inbox file from an HTTPS interface. It doesn't need to be a full email server, just remote HTTP access to my archived email. Huh. Never ever have I got an NGINX reverse proxy working until last week. It's glorious, though. Tell Wes thanks for the tip. Aw, that's so wonderful. Thanks for letting us know that it worked out. There has to be a solution out there that takes an email archive and puts it over HTTP, right? There's got to be a thing that'll do that. 
I'm wondering if Squirrel Mail supports Mbox format. Or if you could expose Mbox as IMAP using a service and then just throw an email client at that. This is a problem that I would have had to have solved a long time ago, but have not had to solve for a long time. But That's how I'm feeling, yeah. Like, there, there there's were, probably a nice pathway here. I don't know it at the moment anymore. I had, you know, I had a law firm that was so serious about archiving emails and retrieving them. It was like a constant thing we were always trying to solve until document management systems became a thing. Jacobo comes in with 10,000 sats. First time boosting party member here from the Denmarks. Uh, hey, Chris and the gang, I recently received my Steam Deck, and one of the things that it makes possible for, for me is to use it as, for my daily driver, is to install DistroBox in the home directory. Mm. This way, I can have all the packages I need safely tucked away in containers located in my home directory. <laughs> uh, it's far, far away from the AB part partition nightmare, so I think it means it's persistent. I haven't found you mention this neat little trick, so I thought I would share. You know what? You're right. I was thinking this morning, there's several Steam Deck-related topics that we could share on the show if people are interested. I just don't know if people are... If you don't have a Steam Deck, is it is it still interesting to hear? Hmm. Um, maybe. Well, I, w- I was interested in this one particularly because, you know, we've been exploring, like, DistroBox last episode, and we touched on it a little bit here with the uh, Immutable stuff. And I was always thinking this is really cool that people are building this, but what is it actually solving? Like we had fun playing with it, but I'm not sure what real world case this was actually solving other than maybe some development or something like that. But here's one that's exactly a perfect example of something just an end user would, would really love to have. So uh, I'm think I'm convinced. Yeah. And it's nice to trash up a virtual environment and leave your host system clean. You know, you're building a little project, doing a whole bunch of dependencies for a day. That's a real quick way to trash up your Linux box. And if you can keep it in these environments and that are just disposable. Or use someone else's Linux box. That guy knows what's up. Jacobo, thanks for being a party member as well. CB boosts in with 10,698 cents. Not to beat a dead horse, but you guys have been mispronouncing WireGuard. Uh-oh. It should be WireGuard. Mm. Mm. By the way, the boost amount... Is a decimal encoded string. 10698. Little puzzle for later. Mm. CB boosts in with another 5,000 sats. I've been neglecting my duty and haven't boosted in a while. Please send more episodes. I like that idea. Working on it, CB. Yeah. And thank you. We got to do it for CB. That's right. If, if for no other reason, it's for CB. Menon RB boosts in with 4,096 sats. Thanks for doing the shows every week, using Fountain and boosting all the sets I've collected. We'll be trying Copia as a backup strategy as well. Hey, another Copia Good. member over here. Great. That's nice to hear. Thanks for bringing it up. All the best from Bangalore, India. Hey, Booster from India. Wow. Thanks for boosting in. That's wonderful. Wes and I were just chatting, I don't know, a couple of days ago. It'd be really nice to know where y'all are at in general. So if you've been thinking about boosting in or you're a regular booster, Boost it and let us know your location. A little location boost ping. Yeah, we'd like to do a round of uh, location shout outs next episode. And I don't know, there's something pretty fun about hearing all the crazy places uh, that people listen to this show. You know, here we are, just sitting here in this room, in a little studio doing a pod, and then you hear eh, somebody's listening to India. That's fantastic. So let us know where you're at, Booster. Well, here's one for you, Chris. Belazkis with 10,000 sats says, Brendan from Cape Town here. Let's meet up. 
I also live in Cape Town. My name is Belaz. We would love to have the entire JB crew in Cape Town. You will absolutely love it. Thank you for Fedora M1 testing, guys. I'm itching to pull the trigger. How do we make this happen? <laughs> How does this become a thing? You know, because there's aspirational ideas and then there's ideas we should really follow through on. And a Linux Unplugged from Cape Town feels like it should be something we do. I just don't know how we go from dream to execution. You know, that's that's the part we got to figure Does out. Does it start with boosts? <laughs> yeah, probably. Splurk boosted in with 3,591 sats. Dumping all my sats from Fountain, cool idea, but it just isn't stable enough. The UI is a bit laggy and sometimes it forgets my place or if I've listened to an episode. Maybe I'll spend a few years setting up Boost CLI. <laughs> also getting a bit jealous of the Cape Town guys. Anyone else besides me in, in Johannesburg area? P.S. How many sats do we need to get Brent and Wes to South Africa? What about Chris? What about Chris? Well, you know, that's a new that's a new thing. Yeah, I see. I see. I see. Um, you know, I, I feel you on the Fountain FM because I, I was like never had any problems ever. And then I switched over to Android and I had some of that, you know, like maybe it lost my place. And when you're really in the middle of a show that you're enjoying and you lose your place, that is very frustrating. Especially if you're like driving or otherwise distracted and can't get to your phone to just sort of find it again. Yeah. I, I do stick with it because, you know, ultimately I, I want to help these guys get across the finish line. And I, so I've joined their beta group. But, um, you know, you can also stick with your favorite podcast app and just go grab Albi and boost from the podcast index and don't change podcast apps. And then most podcasts, I think uh, the next wave of podcast apps like uh, AntennaPod and others, they're going to use Albi integration anyway. So you'll just sort of already be where they're going. That's my that's my thoughts on it. Vectron boosts in with a row of ducks. I think someone suggested Steam game streaming for your Rust desk issues, aka getting a reliable remote desktop on Wayland systems. I'd suggest looking at Moonlight game streaming for that. It used to be NVIDIA GPU and Windows host only, but now they have Sunshine, which is a host application that works on Linux and without an NVIDIA GPU. I use that to stream to the Steam Deck, and it worked pretty well. Maybe check it out. That is a really, really good high quality boost i tell you what because that's actionable right there you could absolutely do that setup to get remote desktop going on the steam deck and it would be totally modern linux compatible that's just totally mm, chef's kiss on that one that's a great setup i want to try that gene bean boosts in with 4096 sets what do y'all think about docker rollout it was in this morning's tldr newsletter Roll out. Yeah, I know. I saw you also tagged this for LAN. Zero downtime deployment for Docker Compose. I know you already saw this. It's, it's on your radar. And the idea is, right, that you could make some modifications to a running Docker Compose container and not have to shut it down and start it back up again. So it just continues to run. I imagine that must have limits. Yeah. Currently, only services with scale one are supported. Your service cannot have container name and ports defined in Docker Compose.yaml. A proxy like traffic or Nginx proxy is required to route traffic. So you've sure. got to have the project sure. and the infrastructure set up just right. But if you need zero downtime deployments or interested in that, well, you, you're probably configuring some. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. Everybody wants zero downtime. I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but uh, I like getting more, you know, so many systems now have just been set up with Docker Compose because it's so easy to have like a simple little declarative setup for your containers. Really easy. Everyone knows YAML these days, right? I mean, you, you do it all over the place, but... 
sometimes you need to get stuff that's like a little more complicated. Now suddenly some things are depending on this composed thing that you've set up, right? And like your needs and reliability and that kind of stuff, that's just changed. So it's cool to have more tooling built around the stack that we're all using. Maybe if you're not doing like a Kubernetes thing. It's called Docker Rollout. And I could see it being pretty useful in the case of our matrix server, because when we take the matrix server down, you get punished for the length of downtime, essentially, because the longer you're down, the more syncing with the rest of the Federation must take place. And it just has to work through that backlog. And so if you're down for a long period of time for maintenance, that means that when the server comes back up, it's really busy because users are slamming it because now it's finally back online and it's syncing with the rest of the Federation. And so if you could minimize downtime. It just makes everything a lot easier. It's doable, but it's a lot nicer. Gene Bean boosts in with another 4,096 sats. I'd love to hear Brent's experience doing a stage two Gen 2 build without using Gen kernel. Do the full custom kernel and select use flags that make sense for the hardware and intended software stack. Gene Bean, you are such a solid booster. Yeah. You know, isn't Gene Bean great? <laughs> Good, yep. reliable Gene Bean. We wouldn't want to disappoint solid, reliable, boosting Friend Gene. of the show, Gene Bean. Friend of the show, Gene Bean. So, Brent, I mean, what do you think of this great, solid idea from friend of the show, Gene Bean, to do a stage two Gen 2 build? Yeah. Uh, I think at this point, I understood maybe 50% of what Gene Bean was saying. So I think I have a thing or two to learn. So this is what I'm thinking. is you come When you come down a little early for LUP 500, one of the things we do is we set up with the mics. And we just set up and we do it. We just rip through it. <laughs> All right. Maybe we stream the whole thing and we cut it down. I don't know what. <laughs> but we do a Gen 2 party. And if it takes us all night, it takes us all night. I think Wes would prefer it that way. I think Wes isn't even invested until it goes to at least 11 p.m. That's right. <laughs> That's when I wake up. Yeah. <laughs> That's when he gets his second win. But, you know, we'll, we'll get some food that we can all eat. Maybe we'll do some grilling. We'll, get, we'll, have, we'll have some microphones going. We'll get a Gen 2 install going. And you'll be in the driver's seat, but you know, I'll be there to help. And Wes will be there to help. It'll be. I'll have a, a devil and an angel, one on each shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? For Gene Bean. Sounds good. Okay. There you go. Uh, Gene Bean also came in with a hot tip. We were talking about Fountain. If you're on iOS, Gene Bean says that Castomatic is hard to beat in the 2.0 space. And I agree. That is a really well-polished app. It is iOS only, so I don't mention it as much. But Castomatic has... Um, well, it's kind of got a head start because they only focused on iOS. So they, you know, sometimes has its advantages. Oh, Nev is reminding us in the Matrix room that uh, had sent some boot media our way at one point. Because uh, I think Nev's been mentioning Gen 2 at yeah. us for some time, too. Yeah. It's <laughs> actually in here. His, his USB stick's actually in here somewhere. It, t- check the top drawer. I think most lost. Well. Yeah. Brent, you might have just gotten a little little help from Nev. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, but at this point, wouldn't we want to go get new media anyways? <laughs> we could try it. Yeah, that could be fun. You know, I mean, where's the fun if you don't stick the strange USB drive in your computer? Well, we'll put it in Brent's oh, step already, one. I've stuck it in my computer. I mean, come on. I did that right away, of course. <laughs> That's how I know it's a Gen 2 install. <laughs> I think probably the moral of the story here is we have the best listeners. Yeah, we do. We do. All right. Uh, Gort Brown comes in with some baby ducks. Longtime listener, first time booster. Love listening to you guys when delivering papers on a Friday morning and in between classes. Oh, that's some dedication. You come back. I've been using BlendOS for about a week. And as a distro hopper, I absolutely love it. It's super seamless. My only issue has been blue teeth is not working on my framework laptop. Keep up the good work. Y'all rock. Well, better than Wi-Fi not working. Oh. Too soon? Too damn soon. 
Orbital Dev comes in with 2,000 sats. Hey, I love listening to the show. I've been using Podcasting 2.0, but this is my first time with Podverse and Albie. And my first time boosting into the show. Enjoy the sats. I'm not sure if this is a lot, but here's another boost for the dashboard. Thank you, Orbital Dev. The Albi Podverse combo is my my combo of choice right now. Super, super solid. <laughs> this is great. I, you know, sometimes I when I see these usernames, I don't read them fully. Like it doesn't click. Andy Wan Kenobi. <laughs> That's great, man. That's a great username coming in with some elite sats. First boost. It occurred to me that boosts are a lot like uh, boosts on Twitch. Bits. If you don't think of the fact that uh, or bits. Yeah, they're called bits. I just learned this yesterday. That's why. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. I just thought I was such an old man. <laughs> With some elite sats, Andy writes, first boost, it occurred to me that boosts are a lot like bits on Twitch. If you don't think about the fact that you could convert them back to fiat, it's just like a podcasting currency for sending to your favorite creator. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the Blueberry folks, the Bullberry, just did a great write-up on podcasting 2.0 and introduced the whole value-for-value value concept. And then their basic, my takeaway from their right up and i think they nailed it. it's like don't don't get caught up on the sats thing that's it's just a medium of exchange like that's that's not the important the important part is boosting in and supporting the creators and creating a model around value for value that is audience driven and hopefully one day will also work for software but that's just me dreaming yeah i think it's not necessarily a podcast only thing which is i don't know part of where the excitement is it could be for all of free software it could be for your coffee at some point who knows yeah for farmers you know, markets, it's, there is interesting tests out there, little micro tests going on all, all over the world. Well, what's been, um, my experience at many local markets has been that they've always had like these small currencies just for like the farmer's market that you go to on a Saturday or Sunday. I've seen that tons in different cities. And so that they were just like ahead on the game here. Yeah. And I think when you consider that Lightning makes it cheap enough to do very, very small transactions, and you could integrate that into something like GNOME software or Flat, FlatHub so, so seamlessly, so smoothly. And then it wouldn't matter where you were at in the world, there wouldn't be the currency conversion. And it, it, it could be done as easily as when you run the app. It could be done at the, you know, at the download link. It's just, there's so many ways to do it where it's a good, smooth, seamless experience where maybe you just have a budget set up in something like an Albi wallet. and you don't really have to interact with it a whole bunch until it exceeds what you said as a budget or something like that. Who knows? It'd probably be something our kids figure out. <sighs> Not us. Scranton boosts in with 2000 sats in a sea of how to install apps in Ubuntu. This show is the Island of Oasis of interesting and useful news on Linux. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Thank you. Scranton. I was just going to pitch a how to install apps on Ubuntu show. <laughs> Maybe next time. Scranton, just cut you down. Just cut you down. If you'd like to send a boost into the show, you can get a new podcast app, newpodcastapps.com, or just go grab Albi, get Albi.com, top it up, which you can do directly in Albi these days, and then go to the podcast index and boost from the web. And then you don't have to uh, switch podcast apps. However, I recommend you do. Because our first pick this week is Podverse 4.12.0, and the reason why I am making it yet another damn pick again is because Mitch and the team over there have been in some kind of fugue state, making this thing better and better constantly. It's unfrickin' believable. It's so nice to see major audio and video play, uh, playback. App is faster, cleaner, smoother. The 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 boosting stuff's even better. They integrated in H HLS support for 
video streams Ooh, from PeerTube. So we'll right. be able to soon video stream into the Podverse app live. Yes. And of course, GPL, cross-platform, available on the iOS App Store, Android Play, and Android. And the fact that it's a just getting better and better, it's like, I used to say, well, we should, we should all give it a go because it's GPL and it's the one I think long-term, it's probably not going to rug us. And, you know, just, I like that it's free software and cross-platform. Cross and now it's just a great freaking podcast app. They've really crushed it. We've been experimenting with transcripts and cloud chapters and all this kind of stuff behind the scenes. And uh, it's so nice to have a web version of Podverse to do some of the testing. It just, Podverse has been great. It's been great from the open source community standpoint. When we did the website project, they've been great on solid releases and they have been absolutely great to work with whenever we have something come up. So I love that web player for sharing with like friends and family who maybe aren't big mm -hmm. into podcasts. Like I don't, they don't have like a preferred client. I don't want to just link yeah. them to like what the Apple use where, you know, uh, but Podverse has the player built right in. So why not? Yeah. It's great for Lincoln. So slick. So I have to give them a shout out because they just keep blowing my socks off. But uh, we also have Boxy that we wanted to let people know about this week. B-O-X-X-Y. And this, this is a tool for putting a misbehaving app in a box. Yeah, you ever have those apps that sort of just want to put their files wherever they're going to put them in your home directory, regardless of how you've set things up, how you're already trying to save or configure your like dot files, it's just gonna, it's gonna spew. Well, Boxy helps with that. Um, so they give an example of Tmux. It wants to put its config in just like .tmux.com. You can set up a little YAML file here with Boxy. It's a Rust app, no less. Uh, and you can say... I want to redirect rights to tmux.conf to .config slash tmux slash tmux.com. Go put it in this place that you keep all the rest of your config files. And then without using symlinks, which is a common technique here, right? You just sort of like set up all these symlinks. You got to like know which files, set the symlink up right. Boxy uses namespaces instead. Oh, cool. As it should. This is 2023 after all, Wes. Yeah. I mean, come on. Be a Linux hipster with your Rust app using <laughs> namespaces. <laughs> Yeah, what do you do with symlinks? God, it's not 1980 anymore. Gross. <laughs> Says the guy's got symlinks. Um, <laughs> this is a really cool tool. Boxy, and like you heard Wes say there, it's written in Rust 99.1% Rust, 0.9% shell. <laughs> Breakdown. That's pretty great. B-O-X-X-Y, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Go put your bad Linux application in a box. I actually feel like this would be really great for... Honestly, even though we don't really have a problem with it, Reaper, just to kind of put it all together in one spot, because we generally just download the Reaper tar file, extract it and run it. And I like the tidiness of this. Uh, some great news. Uh, a file for Boxy was merged into Nix packages three hours ago as we record. What are the chances? This is getting weird. This is like the second time that's happened. That's so great. Well, there you have it. It's like it's meant to be. Well, I feel like, for me, the win this week is my Wi-Fi is working really solid. And Plasma is so dang great. 527's coming, boys. It's coming. I I'm trying to get the hype going because this, this project has been working really, really, really hard on this release. And you can tell they're trying to make it a banger. And so I'm just trying to, you know, lean into that a little bit. Yep. Go, get, go get some of your Adventures in Linux and KDE uh, blog reading. In, no. Yeah. Yeah. Go check out Nate's. Uh, weekly updates and i got neon installed here in the studio and i got plasma now on the nix thinkpad and i'm 
I'm going to be, as soon as 527's out, I'm going to be jumping on it. Chris, can I ask you, uh, why are you so excited? Like, what, what are the top two or three things that, that really are getting you on this one? You ready for this? No, I am. This is the end of the five series, my friend. This is the end of the road. So it's huge for that right there. Let's just full stop. It is also going to be an LTS. So mm-hmm. this is going to be one of those where I feel like would be perfect for deploying in production in the studio. Uh, maybe not immediately, but within a month or three. Um, but if you go through the posts that Nate rounds up, or if you go to the KDE planet, there is a all of project effort to make this a really good release. Like everybody's on board with really trying to make 527 a banger. And I don't know, there's something about that that happens from time to time. Every now and then things align and the project gets like focused and it's usually really good. So also K runner looks a lot better. So there's that. <laughs> that's okay. That that's exactly right there. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that wraps it up for this week's episode of the Unplugged program. Remember, we get together every single Sunday, and we'd love to have you hang out with us. We do it at noon Pacific, three p.m. Eastern, over at Jupiter.tube. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. And if you want to see the factory and watch the sausage get made, you can go watch the replay at Jupiter.tube. And of course, we package that up for our members, put it in a nice feed. Give them some chapters, give it a little bit of love and some processing. And that's a thank you for being one of our members. You can sign up at jupiter.party or sign up for this show specifically at Unplugged Core. We appreciate you very much, members, especially these weeks. You know? Indeed. Especially these weeks. And if you're thinking, gosh, guys, I wish there was more show. I'm not really ready to be done yet. LinuxActionNews.com. That's where we send you. LinuxActionNews.com. Go get more news. Why not? I don't know why not. Thanks for joining us. That's all the show for this time. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> That's it. Show's done. Good night. You're done. <laughs>